I'm Annie Apple, and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports-related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burr, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app. HD you are listening to a Live Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. What's actually happening is that while we are seeing so much crisis all around us and many people are in deep pain, small entrepreneurs are in pain, they're not able to pay their salaries, it's very hard. Uh, but the rural uh, economy actually has been uh, not that much affected. Uh, we have a large rural uh, base of close to about uh, 3 million live customers whom we're servicing even today and we are in touch with them. Uh, the, the the sense when we talk to our, our employees who are in constant touch with all of them uh, is that uh, they feel that when the lockdown will lift, uh, uh, then uh, their ability to service the loans will be pretty good. I must tell you one statistic and it's very uh, telling. Uh, when the rural, uh, when this moratorium was provided, we provided to all our rural customers, so moto, we provided moratorium all of them for three months. And of course, anybody wanted to come out could come out because they had vernacular problems coming to the internet and applying and all that. When uh, when moratorium ended just now, and uh, rather the moratorium 2.0 came, before that we reached customers and close to 60% of them paid straight away. No issue at all. So therefore, there's some humming economy that is going on there. The second uh, angle that we're seeing in rural areas, particularly practice areas, is that the quickness with which even that area is turning digital. We always think of urban areas becoming digital, but even microfinance customers, if given an app, their ability to access it, or even uh, you know pay installments through digital, that is going to be a very rapid change. And the digitization of rural India and the ability of rural India to go digital will be a very defining moment for India and, and probably as big an event as the, as the way uh, urban India uh, migrated. Uh, and third point to the second question actually is about demand. And actually ties to the first question that Rajeshri asked me. Demand-wise, we have seen that consumer demand Consumer demand, meaning consumer durables, television, refrigerators, uh, two-wheelers, uh, these kind of demand, that is up back to 70% of what it was same time last year, already up in the in the in the areas that is open. But SME lending is as good as nil. So we are seeing a two-speed economy where consumer consumption is immediately picking up, but the SME lending, loan against property, uh, business loans, 10-15 lakh loans, that is as good as not there. So our theory is that consumption will start first. And when demand comes through consumption, that will lead to growth of the SME economy. And it's it's maybe a six-month lag, is my opinion. Let me quickly ask you again, about SME. In your presentation, investor presentation at the end of Q4, you list MSME as part of retail, uh, yes. you know, and uh, you know I found that a little uh, surprising actually, because uh, the rest is corporate, big corporate infrastructure, and MSME microcredit is part of retail. Now, yes. are you 
you know, will you change your strategy there? You know, because the government has also changed the categorization of MSME. Uh, now, you know, the turnover limits have been increased. The, all the, uh, you know, benchmarks have changed and have been bumped up. So, you know, uh, what will your bank's approach to MSME now? Will you, you know, increase the percentage of the asset uh, contribution by MSME? See, MSME is a very crucial uh, component of our business. It's almost like uh, the, the big piece in our bank. We have two, three engines that fire in a big way. One is consumption, one is MSME. And of course, third is a corporate, very simply put. Now, uh, but, but focusing on MSME is a very big piece. The reason why we clubbed it together is that we focus on the smaller, lower end of the MSME. You know, even a 25 crore loan is an MSME. But even a 20 lakh rupee loan is a micro entrepreneur. So uh, we going by ticket size, whether somebody's bought a 20 lakh rupee home loan or somebody's taken a 20 lakh rupee, you know, a loan to power the business of the working capital. Or, or sometimes people take even one or two lakh rupee working capitals from us for run small businesses. So in, in, a, in a ticket sense, it's all retail. Uh, the this is uh, 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 it's more about ticket size. In other words, when we categorized it, our sense is that this business can grow indefinitely for the next 20, 30 years. So this is a very long term story. People who are thinking of our bank as a new bank that's starting up, they're actually making a mistake. They're not thinking about what this game can be. I was studying in the U.S. that U.S. is now, for example, a, of course, we all was a developed country per capita income of, of uh, uh, $60,000 or more. Even now, small entrepreneurs uh, as, as an opportunity underpenetrated. 180 million small uh, Americans are either have don't have enough access to uh, that that category of staff or credit. That's what they claim. So the point where I say that this is a very long game, and we 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 believe that digitization we can change the game in a very big way. Yeah. So, Orijit, um, uh, you know, when I asked uh, Ji the question about NPA and the stress on the balance sheet, she said she referred to you. She said Orijit will be the best place to answer the reply to that question. So, you know, let me lob that question to you. I also ask you at the same time, what kind of uh, regulatory forbearance would you like to see from the Reserve Bank in addition to all that has, you know, already been announced? For example, uh, your uh, EcoRap, the newsletter from State Bank of India, uh, has suggested that maybe, you know, income recognition and asset categorization the should be increased from 90 days to 180 days. Um, so your views, please. Okay, on the NPA, uh, I had mentioned in my first uh, part when I spoke that uh, at least for SBI and I do think for most of the other banks, uh, the cleanup that was required because of the huge uh, NPA buildup that has happened uh, for various reasons, you know, starting with the Reserve Bank Asset Quality Review and the kind of stress that had built up in the corporate book, especially on the large infrastructure loans. Uh, to a very, very significant extent, over the last two or three years, they have been, the balance sheet has been cleaned up. Most of the banks, if you see their results, in Q4, we had a provision coverage ratio of 84%. And in the corporate book, uh, even without what we call the advances under collection, uh, it is more than 65%. So it is much higher than even the likely default, what we call the loss given default on an account. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, yes, uh, the larger corporate banks like State Bank and one or two private banks, you have seen, therefore, the gross NPA ratios, the uh, net NPA ratios, and much more importantly, the likely pipeline of bad loans, which start with accounts becoming irregular and uh, what we call the SMA 0, 1, and 2. They are hardly, they were hardly 15 to 20 percent of what we used to see three or four years back. So, which basically gave us a very strong pivot to start from, you know, and uh, so that we could, as I said, 2021 and 2122 would have been extremely good years, uh, given the scenario that uh, we know is true for India, that India is a growing economy, young population, demography is right, so much to do on infrastructure, and so on and so forth. There is no reason why, uh, you know, industry economy would not have grown and the banks also would not grow. And I don't think that scenario has completely changed because of COVID. What has happened is this is a major disruption, which, as I said, we know that Q1, no one could walk out and there was hardly any work. Q2, it would be a work in progress. And there is hope and expectation that Q3 onwards, it will start picking up. As has been rightly pointed out, I think agriculture is a very, very good thing that has happened. Uh, retail demand, as we also see, is coming back. And therefore, going forward, I think as much as we can, we should be in the interim supporting the companies in any way that we can, with regulatory forbearance or even without that, and which is why all these additional lines have been given. On the MSME sector, there was a question. I think one of the very good moves that was announced by the government was this additional 3 lakh crores of completely government guaranteed additional limits. So what it means is that 15 lakh crore was the MSME outstanding as on 29th of February in the banking system. So for good loans, that is for all the standard loans, the 20% of that, which is 3 lakh crores. And this entire thing is guaranteed by us in case there were to be a default. And we are now going all out to ensure that whoever wants this 20% we will be giving. As far as regulatory forbearance is concerned, I think RBI, we had requested the RBI for six months of term loan deferment right at the outset. RBI initially gave three months and then when the lockdown got extended, they have given six months. They have also permitted working capital reassessments to be done, uh, uh, which means basically that the working capital cycle can be reassessed and we can go forward. So RBI is also being very cognizant of the situation. Uh, the circular which currently on which we function, under which we function, which is called the 7 June circular, they have given relaxations on that already. I think RBI's response also has been on the liquidity side. So going forward, depending on how the economy opens up, I'm sure that they will consult us and be able to support us in the way that we can. Uh, as to how the NPA situation will look, yes, because some of the weaker accounts, which are in sectors which may have got affected, there could be temporarily a slight uptick. Uh, you mentioned some report which had been given in the uh, uh, today, and I have also gone through it. I, I, it's very difficult to make a guess, but I would not like to guess on the more pessimistic side. The sole reason being that 
I don't think COVID can change the complete, completely the way the, and the direction that the Indian economy has to take because of our uh, requirements, our demography, our young population, the kind of steps that the government has taken, the enablers that are being given. If the economy goes in the right direction, then all these companies also would be required to come back. And the banking sector also, to my mind, I don't think just because of COVID, we are going to see a repeat of what we saw some four to five years back. But yes, in the shorter run, we are gearing ourselves up. Uh, we know that there could be some requirement of making additional provision. And we will try to keep our balance sheet as strong and as healthy as possible, as strong as it was on March, as at the end of March quarter, we would slowly. But uh, that would be my broad sense on uh, both uh, as to how the banks would deal with the likely NPAs that may come. But I think personally that it is not going to be a permanent feature. And companies which have good corporate governance, which have a good uh, business model, they will all come back sooner rather than later as the lockdown, uh, unlockdown starts uh, progressing. Thank you very much, Mr. Basu. We have uh, more uh, viewer questions which are coming in. So one viewer wants to ask Ms. Bhattacharya. Uh, so the viewer wants to know, uh, Ms. Bhattacharya, whether uh, what are the things that you, you wish you knew as a banker than what you now know as a tech player? You know, now you're in the, you're in the technology domain. So what are the things that you, you think that you should have known at that time? Well, as a banker, you know, I think uh, what probably I should have known more would be definitely in the area of technology, what all is there. You know, today when I'm discovering, uh, you know, the cloud offerings, the kind of AI that is available, the kind of analytics tools that are available, frankly, you know, I did not have any understanding of these when I was a banker. So we went about it more intuitively than anything else. Uh, thank God our intuition was right so that SBI today is very digital savvy. But uh, I think it was very intuitive what we did. But today, you know, there are so many things that are available all around us. So whether it be, you know, integration layers, whether it be um, uh, your uh, data analytics, you know, whether it be robotics, whether it be, um, uh, the automation tools that are available and which I'm sure Milan uh, uh, knows a lot about, you know, those are the sort of things we didn't have deep knowledge about. And more and more, you know, we used to hear, even when I was in the bank, I used to keep wondering that whether at some point of time banks will be actually technology companies that does banking. And more and more, I'm beginning to tend to understand that that is probably the way things will happen. Because, you know, today, anything and everything runs on the backbone of technology. Without technology, it's like the spine. You can't stand straight. Okay? So you have to have it. And it doesn't matter what kind of initiatives do you do. It doesn't matter whether it's an employee onboarding. And believe me, I have been onboarded digitally during this period. I joined on the 1st of April after the lockdown. And the strange thing is that whereas I have visited Salesforce Towers in San Francisco, I have visited the entire top management of Salesforce and met them physically. I have not yet visited a single location of Salesforce in India, and I have not met a single one of my Indian colleagues physically. Okay, but work is going on. So you can just imagine the kind of flexibility that has now come into the entire system. 
And this flexibility actually increases your productivity hugely, increases your efficiency hugely. And means this is something that I always dreamt of, but I didn't really know about. For instance, you know, I used to keep telling my guys that, you know, if we only had such a thing where the branches would be very small, there'd be one guy over there where somebody who had anything other than to do with cash or anything other than to do with the investment uh, advice or a loan would come, say a nomination change, say an address change, say um, uh, changing of a fixed deposit uh, from one tenure to another, say taking a, a withdrawal from a PPF account. So anything, you know, any of those very many things that we do, you know, they should be able to come there. They should be able to give the document. You can scan the document, send him an SMS as to what is the uh, request number. And then there could be one back office where you could intelligently send all these uh, these uh, requests to, and they would get action. You would have uh, SMSs coming at regular intervals, and it would be finished by the end of the day. The person wouldn't have to wait. You wouldn't have to have so many counters. You wouldn't have to have such a big branch. But these are all realities now. You know, so there are so many things out there which we don't really know about because we don't have time to look away from what we are primarily doing, but which I think is very important because at this point of time, we are changing on a daily basis. Similarly, another thing that I think, you know, was very important as a banker and which I couldn't do as much as I would, would have loved to is education. How do you educate people? How do you keep them updated? Every day there is a change, every single day. And today, sending out these master circulars and circulars, nobody has the, the, what should I say, the energy or the attention span to read all of them. Everything is compressed to a Twitter. So, you know, how do you do those modules that are so short and so sharp and yet keep your people updated? Again, all available today. But we need to be able to be aware of this. So any industry that you are in, you need to be aware of at least four or five other industries that are impacting you very closely in order to really do, you know, as well as you would like to do. Well, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. We have uh, another question. Uh, so this viewer wants to understand whether uh, the banking system is going to see its next next flurry of uh, NPAs. Uh, he wants to know if a bad bank uh, makes sense in the current scheme of things going forward and what role of ARCs uh, do all the bankers see uh, going forward. Maybe Mrs. Ms. Daruwala can answer this and, and I'll pass the questions to question to others as well. So, uh, Bad Bank has worked extremely well in US post the Lehman crisis. The TARP scheme really worked and frankly, uh, when one sees the experience, the kind of hit that finally emerged was much lower than what was expected. Similarly, in Malaysia, we've seen Dana Hatta experience, which was extremely good experience. And the way they went about it, Danahata, they actually told the banks that if you don't sell the assets, then you will have additional provisioning. So they almost got the banks to sell the assets. And it was resolved in a very, very efficient way. And eventually the hit that came to the banking system was quite negligible. So we've seen experiences of other economies where it's worked well. So to my mind, uh, it is a good time to look at a bad bank concept. Certain things are very important. The kind of people who are managing the bad bank, they need to be people who really have that experience and are professionals. 
And also it frees up the existing banks of focusing on stressed assets. And for, instead of that, they focus on incremental credit. The other good benefit of a bad bank is that it aggregates the debt in one place. Today, if a customer wants some resolution and they have 10 banks to get 10 banks to agree on a common approach, it's quite time consuming by which time the uh, health of the borrower uh, sort of deteriorates. So it, it makes a lot of sense in my personal view. And I think, Zareen, one other thing is today the provision levels are high enough to allow that bad bank to happen. You know, yes. earlier maybe that was not there. Today, you know, as Arijit was saying, the provisions, provision levels are quite high. Uh, that, uh, sorry, please go ahead. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I, I was just to uh, add uh, to that. That is a crucial difference. And why I think also that this is a very good idea is precisely what Zareen said, that it is a humongous challenge to aggregate the debt and solve it. So uh, this is the thinking, I think, that the banks had uh, when we decided to recommend this. And I think the question also said, uh, wanted to know what about ARCs. I think to some extent, ARCs have worked. But the issue is that, uh, again, they have not been as successful because they cannot take a holistic view of the entire uh, problem. And uh, I think we need to keep on trying new things uh, so that uh, this uh, uh, the process of sort of cleaning up the banks and going forward can continue. So why, while we are on the issue of, uh, you know, NPS, let me go to Milan. Uh, how is uh, how is the technology changing uh, credit appraisal? We, we see this whole new 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 feed of uh, lenders, uh, all kinds of lenders, where you, know, you can transact on mobile. Uh, and they are, they are very innovative ways of, you know, understanding what, what kind of credit funding you have. How, how, how is that changing? I think, uh, you know, Arudhati touched on it earlier that uh, introducing and including uh, two data points. One is, uh, you know, I think one of the challenges in the current appraisal, credit uh, appraisal process is, is the past data ability to, you know, have it uh, at the time when you're making that decision. And that's where, uh, you know, I'm just getting a little technical here, but uh, some of the bots we build are machine learning bots which learns from the patterns which have been created. Earlier, we used to rely heavily on the human judgment who's actually doing that appraisal. Uh, if I take one simple example that the mortgage in the US today, uh, and, and it, it checks almost 18 parameters on a historical basis, and that all happens live when the person is approving that, approving that mortgage. So, uh, you know, everybody touched on the AI and ML component. I, I think... It's here. Uh, it's already being used uh, in, in the play. One more comment I'll probably also make is the is the augmenting human capability. Uh, I, I think in credit appraisal for retail or, or or even for institutional areas is how do you get an incremental view or an uh, if I may say a second view, second opinion, which probably again a machine can add to. So enough examples. Many of the uh, many of the banks are doing it globally uh, and. Some of the Indian uh, banks or NBFCs have started that process as well. Um, Zareen, I just wanted to ask, you know, we had a conversation earlier this week and in which you alluded to uh, some changes in strategy once the lockdown was announced in late March, um, which included, you know, work from home and how you had to, you know, you know, figure out what to, you know, what work can be done out of home. And now as we enter the fifth lockdown and we have unlocked 1.0 as well, 
both running simultaneously on parallel tracks. What kind of changes do you see in the work, uh, you know, in your organization? How will you change your strategy? How will, what work will move to home and what work can be done from office? Yeah, so actually, uh, uh, since we as a, a global bank already had the experience of China, in fact, China, the lockdown started uh, in uh, January. So we had the benefit of having seen how China moved. So the, we as a bank, in fact, prior to the lockdown itself, we were operating at 40 to 50 percent uh, uh, before the March 25th uh, lockdown. And uh, going forward, the way we're looking at organizing ourselves is that this, you know, next maybe fortnight or so, we'll get 10 to 20 percent depending on the city. And after that, maximum, I think we'll go as 30 or 40 percent uh, in the offices. And the rest of the functions which can work from home will work from home. So uh, to my mind, the uh, people who really need to be in office are the treasury people, uh, people who are in field collections. Uh, but a lot of the functions, uh, including our call center, uh, people are working from home and attending to the calls. And uh, technology has enabled that uh, to happen, which is uh, fantastic because that was something that, to my pleasant surprise, we could activate the call center within uh, two or three days of the lockdown of working from home. So a lot of uh, the functions are, as Arundhati said, people are working from home and uh, Unless the COVID scare goes off, it will be very difficult to get employees coming beyond 30 or 40% because of the social distances that is needed in the office itself. Um, so I think um, certain functions like, um, you know, legal and uh, uh, finance and compliance, they all can, a lot of them can work from home right now and for the foreseeable next few months. Would you like to add something, uh, Vednathan? Well, uh, when we see uh, things around, uh, I'm, I draw inspiration from many other uh, people whom we see around us in a common life and see how they have pivoted their model. Uh, see, for example, I see gym trainers. So these are people who normally help you in the gym, lift the weights and all that stuff. And then you might tend to think that, look, how are they going to work? How, what kind of revenue are they going to get? But when I go out, I see them now, they have the same clients, access to them. Clients have put an iPad in front of them. And they are putting them to the pace that are okay, 100 meters this way, 100 meters this way, and the people are performing. And the person is somewhere else. It's not their life. It's not there. And people, and he has a client. And his revenue has probably gone up because he's not having to travel to so many gyms now. Similarly, tutors are now in front of coming home, they're remotely tutoring and it's probably working pretty well. Uh, doctors are performing pretty well, you know, giving advice over long distance and all that. So when we see all these things around us, we say if these people can pivot so much, we are, you know, banking system, which has the resources, which has the energy, which has the capabilities, has access to technology, which has the best, you know, capabilities, best talent of people, we can definitely pivot. So I'm uh, I, when I see people around, I have just seen how the common person has pivoted. It's really unbelievable. You know, I have someone who teaches me guitar, and he used to meet me, you know, once uh, every Friday at my home, and he used to teach me guitar. And now, uh, you know, he remotely teaches me guitar, and it works. So uh, everybody around us is pivoting. Actually, I, I take inspiration from that. No, I, I agree. There are people are making music videos remotely. I mean, my neighbor does that. He's a guitarist himself. So, okay. We have more uh, uh, more uh, viewer questions coming in. So, 
uh, one viewer wants to understand whether we will see more willful defaulters after this crisis is over. Uh, and also, is data security an issue uh, as more people work from home? These are the two questions. Feel free to answer all of them. Uh, data security, uh, because uh, I think I've been uh, basically answering all the questions on NPA and I'll come to willful default also. But I just wanted to uh, give out a sense that how SBI itself has handled this entire three-month period. From day one of the lockdown, we were able to give unseamless services, whether it is in the branch or whether it is through our online channels, not a single minute of disruption. And uh, we were able to do it with the kind of technology that we have been uh, procuring over the years. And uh, uh, we are completely reimagining uh, our journeys. Of course, the entire approvals and uh, back office uh, work that happens in administrative offices, people have, there has not been even, I would say, 5% lesser work that has happened in this two, three months. But the biggest uh, change that we are now visualizing is even the branch. We are now enabling technology, the VPN, uh, in, in such a way that we are imagining a world where every day everyone need not go to the branch. We can work from home or even have flexi offices. And that uh, uh, the kind of technology that we are trying to partner with other fintechs and all that. And uh, uh, for SBI, the number of transactions, the percentage of transactions was almost 80%, even in April and May, uh, as against what we were having in the normal course. So that was one. As far as willful default is concerned, I think uh, that has been uh, part of the cleaning up of the system that has happened. And uh, it's uh, not that, I, I think if the intent of the question is that People have the ability to pay, but they will not pay. I don't think that would be correct. So all the borrowers who are looking at a good business model, they understand that unnecessarily they would not like to hold back on their repayments. As I said, uh, all the RBI uh, relaxations which are available have been offered and only a limited number of the borrowers have actually availed them. So they would all like uh, to conserve cash. They would all like to... Uh, be upfront, and uh, I don't think that is something that we are looking at. On the willful default thing, I must say that the, you know the large, the large well-known case that we know uh, that have uh, had problems. If you leave them aside, on the uh, small entrepreneurs, consumer side, uh, normally it's not willful default. As we speak, many of them are in real pain. Think about it, you know, you don't even have one month's reserves and suddenly for three months there is no cash flow. Real, no cash flow. you got to feed your house, you got to pay your salaries and, you know, otherwise you'll be tagged a defaulter, you'll become an NPA, your name will be on Sybil, you won't get the next loan. It's a real pain. And uh, I, I think people are in trouble. It's not really the willful default. And hopefully with this kind of three months or four months of uh, moratorium that is given, uh, when, when moratorium is there but economic activity started. So that can hopefully bring them the cash to start on the rainy September. Yeah. Well, thanks, Vedinathan. Uh, we'll have to uh, bring this to a close now. Um, you know, I like the you know positive message that each of you has provided. Uh, I think, yes, we are a very yes. uh, resilient society. I think we are a very uh, an entrepreneurial society and we will, I think, bounce back. As Orijit said, 
his prognosis is uh, Q3, Q4 will see some growth. And uh, I think, yes, we will start to see some of the... In fact, I'm looking at a, a, you know, a research report today which showed that some of the manufacturing, auto manufacturing is coming back on stream. Um, so, you know, we are hopeful. I mean, yes, these are extraordinary times. And yes, these will leave behind uh, some immutable changes, but uh, hope springs eternal. And uh, thank you, everybody, for uh, joining. And thank you for your views. Uh, have a great evening. Have a great weekend. And please stay safe. Thank you once again from Mint and from my behalf and all my colleagues. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This was a Live Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast. I'm Annie Apple and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports-related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burrow, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app.